Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled How to Effectively Implement a Meaningful Population Health Initiative to receive a code for SHRM credit. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker here with my teammates. Hey, everybody. Jared Bokitz with you. Hey, everyone. Adam Compton. Excited to be here with you today. Am I a teammate? We have a very special teammate with us today. He was so excited he jumped the gun and just wanted <laughs> to get in there. Wait. I didn't can know if I was for a Vanessa teammate or if I was to jump in or not. <laughs> Mr. David Ross, why don't you just go ahead and jump right in. Introduce yourself. Apparently, I am David Ross, a teammate. Uh, and that, it makes sense. I do work at Brown & Brown, but I guess I, I'm also the guest speaker today. And so thank you very much for that. Yeah, I... At Dave Ross, I head up the actual and underwriting department at Brown and Brown, but it's uh, it's really a figurehead role because it's math. <laughs> so I, I spend most of my time just traveling the country speaking. Probably many of you tuning into this have seen me live, and if not, I hope to see you live at some point in the not too distant future here. Uh, and what I speak to is um, healthcare, but I speak to it from a very unique perspective because prior to the role I'm in now, I was a strategist underwriter for Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, and as a, as an underwriting strategist, my job was to effectively increase the cost of employer-sponsored health plans and increase medical trend. And that should not shock anybody, even though it frequently does. You heard me properly. Increase your cost. Increase your trend. And the reason it shouldn't shock you is because your cost is my revenue, if I'm Belize, United, Cigna, Aetna, three of which report to Wall Street. <laughs> So the perspective I come from is that I, I'm, I'm, I'll be talking to you uh, on any topic, always wearing the hat of the underwriter strategist that I was. And um, you'll get a sneak peek into some of those thoughts as we talk about today's topic. Delighted to be with you all. So Dave, as we kick into a new session, a roadmap of self-funding, we're starting with the 101 today. We're getting into what is self-funding. We've got a, a slew of concepts and ideas to run by you and get your feedback. and. Let's just start with some of the basic things. We have these different funding models that exist, whether we pay a carrier fully insured premiums every month, or we maybe shift that to something in the middle or all the way to self-funding. Let's just start with the biggest differences that you might see between these fully insured and self-funded contracts. Yeah, there's. Um, I'll actually give it to you from this perspective, first of all. So it, it, it actually... It actually tags off of my intro, I think, somewhat perfectly because as an underwriter strategist, I have an absolute intent. You know, these, by the way, everybody listening in, we can all see each other while we're recording this. And I, and I have a piece of memory foam in my hand and every one of them just gave me the look like, what are you squeezing there? I don't know. It's just out no, of habit. And, you, and you're drinking a squirt zero too. It is, so, a, you know. it is a squirt zero. That's true. That's I'm, I haven't seen anyone drink squirt and I don't know how long. <laughs> That was it was my dad's favorite drink. I didn't even realize until recently that it's actually trying to be grapefruit flavored. And I'm like, I don't detect any grapefruit there at all. And it's, it's all natural. One hundred percent natural flavors, <laughs> right? Anyways, so let me the question that you posed. Let me let me uh, answer it from the perspective of what of my background again, and sort of the dirty secrets and the fact that I'm trying to raise your cost because that's my revenue. I have a preference. If I'm Blues United Signet, and I have a huge preference as to whether or not you are fully insured or self-insured. And my preference enormously is for you to take, stay fully insured as long as you possibly, as long as I can convince you to. 
for reasons that we'll probably get into. But that's that's the best way to open up the answer to the question that Adam just asked, because what is the difference between the two? There's a very definite legal difference between the two. And that's probably the easiest way to describe it because the marketplace is going to try to say that there's, there's, there's ways that you can kind of have hybrid products. There's ways that you can kind of be a little bit fully insured and a little bit self-insured, but let me just give you the legal definition of it. If, if we look at the legal definition, um, a, a fully insured product through ERISA law does not have something called ERISA preemption. Self-insured products do have ERISA preemption. ERISA preemption simply means that um, if you have it, like self-insured, you are not bound by state laws and regulations. You have to follow national laws and regulations, but you're not bound by state laws and regulations as it applies to the structure of your health plan. Uh, And that is not true for fully insured products. So that in very in the simplest terms and in the legal terms is, is what really differentiates self-insured from fully insured. Now, the reason why, um, the reason why I, as a, as an underwriting strategist want you to stay self-insured or excuse me, fully insured for as long as you possibly can is because I make more money off of you. Um, and one of the ways that I make more money is simply off of a risk margin that I effectively don't need, but I don't want to waste time on that. A second way that I make money off of you is off of something called terminal lag. And that is that um, when you leave my fully insured pool, because you either go to a competitor of mine or you move to self-insured, you are you left a product, a fully insured product called an incurred product, meaning all claims that were incurred during that contract period are covered under the terms of the fully insured contract. So you don't have to worry about paying any runout claims. I, however, Blue Cross United Cigna Aetna, I have to worry about that. I have to pay those runout claims. Now, here's the dilemma. The dilemma is that you can come to my fully insured pool on January 1st and leave it one year later, December 31st of the same year. You can, you can do that. And because you can do that, I am legally allowed to include the runout claims in my filing of fully insured premiums every single year. But what is the only year that I need that runout premium? And obviously, it's the year that you leave me. So if you're in my fully insured pool 10 years, you effectively pay that runout premium unnecessarily nine years. That is excess um, profit to me. But the, the biggest reason of all that comes right back to the ERISA discussion is that ERISA, remember, is a maybe you don't know, but ERISA is a national law. And so it was passed by our, our national Congress. The, the question is, why did they grant? that that statutory provision inside of it. Um, and the reason is because every state runs a high risk pool for the for the high cost claimants in that state that don't have coverage elsewhere. What's the best way to pay for a, a high risk pool around healthcare? Well, with taxes from healthcare. And so a fully insured product is filed in the state. That's the word that the industry uses. It's filed in the state that it's going to be sold in. So when you buy a fully insured product, you invariably have to buy that product in the state that your company is domiciled in, or that you could think of it maybe as headquartered in. You have to because that was filed in that state by law. So filing becomes a piece of this discussion, whether or not I have to file that product with the state, effectively asking for permission to sell it. 
So there's those sort of the biggest differences between fully insured and self-insured. Some of the very simple ones just to get people, because many people just don't understand the most rudimentary basics. And so let's just get one of them out of the way. And that is that from your employee's perspective, there really is no difference whatsoever. We're, it's literally just a funding mechanism. That's it. You can keep the same network. If you're with Blues, you can stay with Blues. If you're with United, you can stay with United. Cygnus, stay with Cygnus. You don't have to change that. You can keep the same plan design. If you're offering a certain plan in, in a fully insured product, you can offer that same plan in the self-insured product. You don't have to change anything from the consumer, from the employee's perspective. The only change is a funding change. Instead of paying a fixed premium on January 1st, and February 1st and March 1st, you are paying your own claims one week in arrears, one week after the claims are, are, are paid by Blues United Signet on your behalf. So, I mean, but I would open it back up to you guys as well. I mean, there's obviously other differences, ownership of data, things like that. You own your data if you're self-insured. If, if you're fully insured, you don't own it. That's the, you're lucky to get your data. If you're fully insured, if they give it to you, they're like being nice. When you're self-insured, they don't have a choice. Blues United Signet, you own it. They merely house the data. So upon request, they have to give you your specific data in, in its entirety and in the most transparent way. And that becomes hugely valuable. I'm shocked you didn't bring this difference up because it's one of your favorites that I always hear you talk about is when it's a filed plan. Every aspect of that plan is defined by who, the carrier. Yeah, yep. versus Us. a fully inch or versus a self-funded plan. Who gets to define that? Yeah, and, I, and I, when I say us, me, or something like that, recognize that I'm speaking exclusively from being the strategist for Blues. But you can supplement United Signa at night, or you could supplement whoever your regional TPA is that you're working with. I'm simply talking about the adjudicator of the claim, whoever files that product. Um, they're deciding what they want to find. I, I use this quite a bit because the first time I ever presented in front of congressional entities, Senator Ron Kind happened to be there. And, um, and this point subtly came up. The one that you just pulled out, Jared, kind of came up and uh, we were talking about filings. And I was describing how I, the strategist for Blues United Signal, I would never file a product I don't want to sell. And of course, what I want to do is increase cost and increase trend. As I said in my opening comments, and again, don't please don't let that shock you. That should be obvious. It's your cost is my revenue. So I want to increase cost and trend. Why would I ever file a product that does not satisfy my intentions? And the way that I likened it for Ron Kind, because he said, I'm a simple man, Dave, give it to me simply. What are you saying here? As I said, Senator, if I'm a grocer and I don't want to sell you Tide, you will never see Tide on my shelf. If I'm a grocer and I only want to sell you Tide, you will see nothing but tied on my shelf. I will never ever, I won't put on my shelf something I don't want to sell you. Well, I will only put on my shelf what I want to sell you. And that should frighten everybody on this call that's fully insured. Because by definition, what that means is that you are buying a product that I want to sell you. I won't even make it an option to buy the product that you should want, because that's not a product that I want you to buy. I will never file it. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, Jared, to build on that too, if you think about the decisions from a, an underwriter, and I'm sure Dave, you saw this from the blues, when they apply a percentage or a dollar figure to a certain plan design feature, we all know that we're going to apply a very different number on a self-funded plan versus what that fully insured was because they don't take into account 
a lot of things that just impact plan, like a behavior or what a decision might be made. And if yeah. I adjust a max amount of pocket, well, it's worth 0.5% or whatever, whatever number. And so I think what we're getting to is that that insurance carrier has a different strategic intent and will file the plans to benefit their profit margins rather than the employer. So uh, is that fair to say, or do you think I'm it is. being too, okay. Well, no, you're not, I'll actually be too dramatic. I'll take your not too dramatic and make it Actually, I'll, I'll just make it adequately dramatic because let's hit home this point because this should frighten everybody. Dave's never dramatic. Yeah, never. <laughs> this should this should frighten everybody because I mean, so let's not let's recognize the nature of who is the type of employer that would want to have a fixed premium, and the answer is anybody who's going to have incredibly volatile claims. Well, uh, statistics demands that the smaller you are, the more volatile the claims, and so very small employers are the employers that are un, you know less than fifty they are going to be fully insured. But you know, even groups that are like 50 to 250 are almost always fully insured. If you go to the West Coast or the East Coast, which people might be tuning in from here, it's not unusual to be fully insured up into the thousands of employees, thousands, okay? So the variation of the, of the, of the volatility of the claims is actually what frightens people in the first place. Well, the problem is, is that 74% of employers in this country are actually quite small. There's only one Walmart. There's only one General Electric. 74% of employers purchase a fully insured product. Now, remember what we just said. <laughs> I, Blues United Cigna Aetna, I will never, ever file a product that does not satisfy my intentions. My intentions are to increase your cost and increase your trend. When 74% of employers purchase a product defined with those intentions in mind, what do 74% of the benchmarks tell all employers? I hope eyebrows are raising right now as you hear this because I, as a healthcare strategist, effectively have 74% direct control of the benchmark. Because I have, well, because what I just described, 74% of employers buy the product that I file. I won't file anything but what I want to file. Tied with lavender. But we, I'll take it a step further. Yeah, and say that 100% of, I control 100% of the of the benchmark indirectly. Because those of you that are presently self-insured, what are you typically using in your decision-making process? And the answer is the benchmark. So you, you look at what I created Blues United Signetna, and you look at that as a proxy for sanity. You're like, oh, what is everybody else doing? They can't all be nuts. Let's go out there and have some sort of something that is relatively similar to the benchmark. Well, if you're doing that, you are doing exactly what I, the strategist, want you to be doing. Exactly. Like we need a bump, bump, bump. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So obviously, key differentiator being right. You have more control over plan design, which ultimately gives you more control over your results, right? Financial, employee satisfaction, all the above, customized yeah. back to your individualized needs as an organization, right? Yeah. I mean, you said a property. I mean, it's, 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 almost a, it's almost a common sense. It's a logic thing. If, I, if what I just described to you is the problem, then the opposite of that is the solution. And so the problem is that you don't have control of the plans that you offer if you're fully insured. You only have control of which plan you choose that were offered, but all of them are the wrong plan. And so Vanessa's point is that when you go to self-insured, you have complete control of your plan design. 
You only have to abide by, because you have a risk of preemption, you only have to abide by national laws, not state laws. You can define the plan to be whatever you want. Well, by definition, what you should want, I promise you, will not look like what a benchmarked, fully insured plan looks like, because that is targeting exactly the wrong behavior. So Dave, getting back to some of the basics of self-funding, because if we let you, you'll go down rabbit holes for hours. Oh, gosh. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, good stuff. Good rabbit yeah. holes. Oh, for sure. Well, Very good We'll have to talk holes. more about those later. But help us understand what are some of the buckets that make up the components of self-funding um, as far as the spend buckets. Obviously, fully insured, you pay a fixed premium and and that goes to the carrier and you're done and you're taken care of. Yep. Uh, and obviously, they break it down and they, they have different buckets that it funnels to. But as far as from an employer's perspective, they just worry about that fixed premium. But yeah. um, self-funded, tell us what those buckets are and how an employer... Just explain that. Yeah, in very, very simple terms, the difference between fully insured and self-funded are are identical in in most of the buckets. So whatever remember, let's presume again that whatever your fully insured product looks like, that's what your self-insured product can look like. Same plan design, same network, same everything. Okay. So um, the claims are going to be the claims. What the claims are identical in both buckets. Okay. It's also true that admin costs. Uh, the cost that I incur, Blues United Cigna Aetna, to adjudicate the claims and to underwrite it and to report on it and all the legal stuff around it. That's the same for both fully insured and self-insured. Absolutely identical. Um, what's, what's also true is that there's a high case component, a high cost component to fully insured. If you're well-versed in fully insured, you simply know of it as pooling. Pooling is a premium charge that you pay inside of your fully insured product. And what it does is it protects you against extraordinarily high cost claimants. It binds the hands of the underwriter and disallows them from using very, very high cost activity when they project future rate increases. They cannot do it based off of um, based off of whatever the deductible of that pooling is. And so it would be, let's say it's $100,000 per member pooling. That would mean that if I'm a million dollar high claimant on that plan, the underwriter can only use $100,000 of my 1 million to project costs forward with. That exact same product exists on the self-insured side. It's simply called stop loss. More specifically, it's called specific stop loss. Specific stop loss is the same thing in form and function. It is going to have a deductible attached to it. You decide what that deductible is. And so if we say it's a $100,000 deductible, just like our pooling was, then the same mechanics apply. You, the self-insured health plan, are responsible for paying only the first $100,000 for every single claimant. Anything above $100,000, you are not responsible for. Those are dollars that you'll either immediately be carved out, you never pay them, or they are dollars that will be reimbursed back to you. One way or the other, you are not responsible for the costs above that specific deductible. Just real quick to clarify that, Dave, an employer gets to choose where that specific deductible is set. It's not $100,000 across. Just, just... Maybe and that's a value. elementary, but it is. Yeah, there's a big value in being able to set that specific. Uh, yeah, it's important that you bring that up because you don't get that choice in fully insured. 
and fully insured, it's filed into the fully insured product. And again, what do you think I'm going to file what I want in there (laughs) or what you want in there? And I mean, hopefully that's pretty easy to deduce. Um, You should want to choose what your deductible is and you don't have that choice in fully insured, but it is absolutely the identical product and form and function. Now that protects you against an individual high claimant. But what if every single person on your plan becomes a high claimant? Every single one of them. Well, now you want a different form of protection. That is called aggregate stop loss. Aggregate stop loss says, let's come up with a total annual projected claims expectation. And then let's put a corridor above that expectation. The two most common corridors are 20% above or 25% above. 25 is by leaps and bounds, the number one um, corridor. So you would say it's 125% corridor, 25% above the expectation of cost. Meaning that you can, you would never be able to contractually, you will never ever be able to spend more than 25% above the expected cost. And you might think as a financial person listening, oh my God, that scares the hell out of me. 25%, that is a massive amount of variation. Well, careful. (laughs) Remember, I'll quantify a few more things for us. I already told you that there's three reasons why I want you to be fully insured far longer than you should want to be fully insured. And the reasons were risk margin, that increases your cost over self-insured. Taxes, that increases your cost over self-insured. Taxes that that pay for the high-risk pool in the state that only apply to fully insured. And terminal lag. If I take those three buckets of cost from fully insured that do not exist in the self-insured world, that average is 8 to 12% difference on average over time. So unquestionably, what will any employer save on average over time, not in any given year, but on average over time, what will you save by being uh, partially self-insured, self-insured, you're going to save roughly 10%. But hang on. Remember that lag thing that we talked about before, the fact that w- the terminal reserve, we called it. When you leave a fully insured plan, you don't care about the runout claims because it's not your responsibility. But that runout comes from natural claims lag providers not submitting claims, they're allowing them to accumulate. That happens with high case activity. That claims lag applies to you, the employer that just moved to self-insured. So while you don't worry about run out, what does apply to your self-insured plan on the first year is run in. People go to the doctor day one, but there is approximately one month of lag, actually a little more. It's up around 33 to 35 days. Curiously, what is 35 divided by 365 days in a year? It's very close to 10%. Meaning that first year that you go to partially self-insured, you will not spend roughly 10% of a normal claims year. All I have to do is add The 10% savings that you get on average over time by being self-insured to the 10% savings you get from an immature first-year self-insured claims experience, 10 plus 10 is 20%. What did I tell you 
one of the aggregate buckets that you can buy is, you can buy a 20% aggregate bucket. You can buy an aggregate stop loss threshold that is 20% above the expectation. Well, that means, and make no mistake about this, that your absolute maximum possible spend is exactly the same as what you are guaranteed to spend if you stay fully insured. You, you cannot spend $1 more. The only thing you could possibly spend is less. Funny story, Dave, and it happens quite often, but a client was evaluating going self-funded and they were with a particular carrier. They wanted to stay with that carrier, so they had, we had them quote on their ASO and their stop loss as a carved-in stop loss bundled approach, which we could get into the details of that down the road. But the funny thing about it is their fully insured premium on the renewal was actually 3% higher than their maximum liability that you just described. Oh, yeah. So the carrier themselves, the same carrier, was basically saying, you're guaranteed to save 3% by going self-funded. So, yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to structuring things right and evaluating it properly to make a good decision as an employer. It's a Well, Angie, what you're illustrating is a massive failure of the broker community more, more often than not. So think about it this way. If I've already told you, and I hope we've, we've substantiated why I, Blues United Signet Edna, I desperately want you to be fully insured. Now, the second that you and your broker ask me for a self-insured, uh, a self-insured quote, you just asked me for something that I don't want you to buy. I don't want you to buy it. Now, curiously, there is a soft number in that self-insured projection. I'll explain soft in a second. That does not exist in a fully insured projection. A fully insured, when I give you your fully insured premiums, there's nothing soft about that. That is the premium you are going to pay. But when I give you a self-insured projection of cost, I just use the appropriate word. It's a projection. It's not an absolute. I mean, the, whatever I give you for an expectation of claims in a given year, that is the one number that you know with absolute certainty you will never, ever, ever, ever spend being self-insured. You will not spend that number. That is why it is a soft number. Now, if I don't want you to be self-insured, what can I easily do as the underwriter for Blues United Cigna Aetna that's effectively the opposite experience of what Jared just described? In other words, you can see both, you can see both directions. What I can easily do is just overproject the claims in the self-insured world. It's not truthful. I'm simply showing you an elevated claims number such that you and your broker put it on a piece of paper without doing any of your own analysis and you just trust what I'm telling you. And you're like, well, if I'm only going to have a three or four or 5% difference between self-insured and fully insured at the end of the day, why would I do that? Exactly right. You just did, ex you and your broker just did exactly what I, Blues United Signet Aetna, wants you to do. You listened to my garbage projection of self-insured costs. I don't have to be truthful in that. I don't have to be truthful. The only thing that I am held to is whatever our aggregate contract says. But if I inflate the claims, 20 or 25% above that gives me even more cushion. I have, I, I'm incentivized to artificially show you a higher number 
And when your broker illustrates that higher number to you, you are more likely to say, let's just stay fully insured and lose. Hence the value, right, of independent forecasting and and right-sizing that with true data, right, metrics and data-backed evaluation. I mean, ultimately, there's a lot of things we, we could point back at the broker community, right? It We also know that many that aren't as astute in self-funding have very well led potential clients down the wrong path, right? So it's such that a first-year self-funded plan fails miserably, purely because they weren't well-educated. I do think we see that some are a bit hesitant to experience a self-funded world again because maybe they artificially funded too low. They set it at expected. They didn't set their expectations were not aligned on the front end. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you bring up a very valuable point, Vanessa. So like, I'll I'll go back to being the strategist that I was. I'm going to fail at my job uh, eventually. Remember, my job is to keep you fully insured as long as I possibly can. And so thank you, East and West Coast, for being fully insured way longer than you ever should have been. Um, In fact, I will go so far as to say that you should want to be self-insured the moment you legally can be. In some states, that's as low as 50, 51, or 52 employees. In New York, 102 employees. So at least to look at it to evaluate it. And and because for 50% of you, you unquestionably will win in a very, very predictable way. Okay. So um, what, Van- what Vanessa's talking about now is that, remember, once you go to self-insured, I failed as a strategist. You did what I did not want you to do. Now, does that mean that I curl up in the fetal position, crying, sucking my thumb, being like, oh, I lost, I lost? No, I changed my strategic intent. My new strategic intent becomes to get you back to fully insured. What is the number one way I can get you back to fully insured? It's to make sure that your self-insured world sucks. And I hate to use the word, but it's, it's absolutely true. And what is the easiest way for me to make sure that your self-insured experience is awful? It's to manipulate the numbers. The, the easiest way to do that is literally in not doing something. So imagine this now. We know that high case activity is what creates volatility in health plans. Everybody knows that that's listening to this. High case activity does. What standard underwriting and actuarial practices always do is they remove the high case activity above the pooling level for fully insured or above the stop loss for self-insured because you're not responsible for those claims. So we're going to remove them and then project claims forward. That number is the number that you're going to use to develop contributions, COBRA premiums, funding numbers, everything. Okay. Now, in 50% of years, when high case activity is abnormally high, that works out perfectly because you've pulled out that high case activity and you've pushed it forward appropriately. But now let's talk about the other 50% of years, because in 50% of years, high case activity will be anomalously low. When high case activity is anomalously low, what should that underwriter be doing to your high case activity? They should, for the exact same reasons, add claims. They should add claims because it was anomalous. You don't want to take something that was anomalously high or anomalously low and use that to project costs forward. 
your costs will be wrong. So what should be done is that somebody should add claims in. Yet curiously, guess what? No underwriting formula in the entire country has ever done. It has never added claims. Now you might think, well, that's good because that lowers my cost. No, it doesn't. That is a soft number when you are self-insured. What it, what it lowers is what you think the costs will be, meaning that you're going to fund at too low of a number. You're going to be underfunded. You're going to have a huge renewal increase next year. You might hit your aggregate corridor that we talked about. You're going to set your contributions too low relative to what the costs are. You're going to set your COBRA premiums too low. You're going to have a super pissed off CFO because the claims are running hot. And and you're going to, at the end of that year, think, oh my God, this whole self-insured experience was a disaster. And what was the only thing that created that disastrous outcome? The industry not adding claims to a projection of cost that a competent underwriter consultant would add. If we add those claims for for funding and contribution purposes, you're not underfunded, you're not under-contributioned, you're not under-COBRA premiumed, you don't get a giant renewal, you certainly don't hit your aggregate corridor. All of those problems are eliminated if some underwriter is doing something that the carrier will never do. Never. So, so true. I mean, honestly, it is ultimate source of freedom when you begin to have, you know, options outside of the tide shelf, right? We know from a plan design perspective, there's a lot more customization that can be done. We also know, right, that we need to be really astute in how we budget and we forecast to that regard. So I think all of these elements clearly point back to making sure you have a great partner, of course, but understanding these basics of self-funding, number one. Lots and lots of opportunity here. Of course, uh, it's not just the BUCAs, right, that have these goals. I know, Dave, you've referred to Blues, right, and Aetna and Cigna and, and, and others throughout, but regional players are in the same boat and the same message and principles apply as we think about how can we win in this market as a self-funded plan sponsor. Any closing thoughts here, team? I know we're sitting at the half hour. Lots more we could talk about, but certainly uh, exciting content. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. That's my, my and, and the knowledge you have is, I think, second to none in this industry. So we appreciate having you. And as Adam started with, our goal is to give you some of the basics of self-funding and then go down the road of some of the other components you can look at once you are self-funded and things that you can focus on as an employer. So this was a great introduction to what we're going to talk about for the next few sessions. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, gang. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Dave. Always great to see you. Take care, all. Thanks for listening in. 